Hello and welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders, as we bring to you the August 2021 meeting of the Whitechapel Society. Dr. Andrea Nini is a senior lecturer and associate professor in linguistics and English language at the University of Manchester. In 2018, Dr. Nini published an authorship analysis of the Jack the Ripper letters in Digital Scholarship in the Humanities, in which he analysed 209 letters and postcards sent to the police and newspapers that claimed to have been written by Jack the Ripper and concluded that several were journalistic hoaxes supporting the claims made by Sir Robert Anderson, McNaughton and Detective Chief Inspector Littlechild. So, without further ado, let's turn it over to the Whitechapel Society and their special guest, Dr Andrea Nini. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, it's, of course, it, it would have been better to meet you in person. There might be another chance in the future, but that's what the... Unfortunately, that's the, the life we, we, we're living now, but hopefully coming to an end soon. Um, and I have to say, so I was asked by, uh, by you, by the organizers, whether I was okay with Zoom. My life is entirely on Zoom these days. Um, the exception is, I, is that when I teach students, the web cameras are not on. So it's, uh, it's a pleasure to actually see who I'm talking to. <laughs> Um, right. Um, so I'll, um, as you can see on the slides, I'll be talking about French linguistics and um, a, an analysis using French linguistics of the uh, Jack the Ripper letter. And I will firstly begin with with a few words about linguistics and French linguistics, so that I don't assume that you necessarily know any of these two fields. Um, right. So. Linguistics is, uh, could be defined as, as a scientific study of how human language works. Uh, so it, it is not a, a discrete of studies, for example, handwriting. Um, and it's not necessarily a discipline that focuses on just one language. It's more about studying the properties of language as a whole, as a, as a phenomenon of, of, being um, of, of human beings and, and how it works in society and in the mind and in culture and so on. And for this reason, there are several branches of linguistics. So we can we can see psycholinguistics or sociolinguistics or neurolinguistics, all looking at language from different perspectives. Um, we could say that there are two kinds of linguistics. There's theoretical linguistics, which is all about understanding how these things work. And then there's applied linguistics, where all of that knowledge is, is used to solve real-world problems. And what kind of problems uh, do we find that, that we can solve with linguistics? Well, um, there are some clinical problems, so uh, problems with um, speech, for example, or, um, or uh, rehabilitation uh, of speech, right? That's a, that's a problem that for which linguistics can provide certain solutions. Education, how to improve language teaching, for example, and forensic. Okay, that's one of the possible applications. And um, so, the forensic applications of linguistics are uh, all of the applications of linguistics to forensic problems, so to legal or uh, evidential problems. 
And I will show you some examples. So, uh, first of all, we can say that French linguistics, as I said before, it's either the study of the language of the law. So, for example, if we use, uh, we use English differently when we are uh, just imagine yourself speaking in court or if you're reading a legal document, the language of that legal document would be very different from uh, a newspaper article or, or other, other forms of English language or um, to study language when it becomes evident. So it, it's possible, for example, that uh, a crime has been committed and a text, like a text message, uh, was involved in this crime, and that becomes evident. Um, or um, other examples of that could be uh, a phone call, right? So uh, if, if someone makes a bomb threat on the phone, that's language that becomes evident. So linguistics can, can provide help uh, in terms of extracting forensic evidence from this data. So examples of that are, um, so it doesn't have to be criminal, right? So for example, one thing is interpretation of meanings. There might be a dispute over the meaning of a word or a phrase in a contract, right? So that's, uh, and one party could call a linguist to testify on the meaning of the ordinary meaning of a certain word or phrase in a document. Um, trademarks are also, trademark disputes are also uh, be, belong can belong to French linguistics because trademark is literally a piece of language that someone owns, and so when there are trademark disputes, uh, often it's all about uh, whether two trademarks can be confused or not. So a linguist can testify on these issues. Uh, as I explained before, if, um, if there is a bomb threat, so. When, when it comes down to uh, a voice of a person, then forensic phonetics uh, offers uh, solutions, for example, in terms of recognizing whether the same person that made this uh, threatening um, bomb threat is uh, a um, uh, you know, one of the one of the um, you know, the suspect that has been arrested or or, or another suspect. And finally, uh, my area of expertise, which is, which is disputed authorship of documents. So let's say that we have a text here. This is one of the um, infamous Zodiac, Zodiac letters. And um, we don't know who wrote it, of course. And uh, it, it, could be, it could be either a text that's committing a crime, for example, a threatening letter or uh, a, a yeah, or a letter like this one that is admitting to a murder. Or it could be even a text that is not committing a crime, like uh, uh, an email or, or a text message that somehow, for example, connects a person to a certain place so that it has any evidential value for an investigation or, or court trial. Now, if, um, if suspects... Uh, are present in, in such an investigation, and, and it's possible to collect their, their writings, then what a French linguist can do is they can look at the language used. So again, not, not handwriting analysis, that's another forensic field. So I'm talking about the words and grammatical constructions used, and express the likelihood that one of these two suspects, for example, 
could have been or could have not been the author of the dispute text. Another scenario that um, relatively happens very, relatively often is when you don't have any suspect, so you only have a disputed text, and if you don't have any comparison data, then what a linguist can do is um, can analyze the text and ba on the basis of the use of words and grammatical contractions, try to um, outline a profile of the most likely author of this text. And again, I'm not talking about psychological profile. I'm, I'm not talking about looking at handwriting, but just the words and grammatical constructions used. For example, uh, you're all familiar with the um, with dialect words, right? So if someone says uh, something in a certain way, uh, then you you might be fairly confident that they are from a specific area of the UK. Um, with voice, uh, you can use accents as well, right, uh, as, as, as a way to get clues about a person's demographics. Uh, but you can do the same with written language. Uh, it just, uh, it tends to be more difficult than with voice, but And I decided to, just as a sort of exercise, to, to see whether um, any of these letters were what I normally do before I get here, before getting to the actual analysis, I just give a sort of timeline of the uh, historical timeline, which I realize that it's probably very common knowledge for for most of you or some of you. But nonetheless, I like to, to make everything um, explicit and put everything on a timeline, right? So we are talking about Whitechapel, London, uh, where all of these events happened. And um, so we have, uh, I, I don't have to delve too much in, into detail here, I think, because you probably know these key events. But So on, on 7th of August, um, which is actually <laughs> today, um, in, 1990, in the 19, 1888, uh, Marta Tarbell oh. was murdered, which some argued was one of the could have been one of the first murders of Jack the Reaper. Then we have uh, 31st of August, Marianne Nichols, Annie Chapman, 8th of September. And then at this point, the, the important part for us is that on the um, 27th of September, that's when the Dear Boss letter was uh, received. And this is the Dear Boss letter, which uh, probably most of you are, are already familiar with. So it's, uh, it's the prototypical Jack the Ripper letter. It starts with Dear Boss. Uh, it admits that uh, whoever the author of this letter was, was responsible for, um, for these murders. And then uh, famously uh, says that next, next one I do, uh, I will send um, the year. Okay, and, and actually, if I'm not mistaken, this is also the one that says there will be a double event. Um, and most importantly, this is where the name Jack the Ripper comes from. Um, again, I, hope, I, I don't think this is anything new to to you, I, I guess. But I would be interesting to to then have a conversation and about these things later on. So on the 27th of September, this is when the name Jack the Reaper comes um, 
into a public domain, let's say. Actually, at this point, the letter was received by the Central News Agency in London, and it was not public yet. Then after that, we have the double event where Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Eddowes were murdered on this, in the same night. And after that, on the 1st of October, we, we, we have the Sophie Jackie postcard, which was received again by the Central News Agency. And, um, it famously said that, um, there was no time to, uh, send the year, um, right? But, uh, piece of, uh, the year was partially cut and it was found next to the victim, right? If I remember correctly, um, and so the police at this point, the police originally thought that their boss was a hoax. At this point, they start to change their mind that there could have been something useful in these letters. Um, then on the 2nd of October, um, we have the, the so-called Whitehall mystery, which, uh, again, you might be familiar with or not. Um, so again, if I remember correctly, that's a torso of a woman that was found in Whitehall. Um, and, uh, and I, to, to, to the best of my knowledge, up to this day, uh, there's no, uh, I mean, there's, it's a crime that has not been solved and that potentially could be linked to the series of events as well, or at least, uh, I'll discuss that better later on, but uh, let's keep this in mind for now. Um, after, but this event is important anyway because on the 5th of October, uh, the more median letter was received again by the Central News Agency in London. And I can't show you the original of that, can't show you a picture of the original because it was never found. Uh, so what happened instead was that Tom Bulling from the Central News Agency copied the letter and sent a handwritten copy of that letter to the police. Um, so that's that's what we that, I mean that's the, the, the transcription of that letter. I don't think I, I don't think there is any picture of that either. Uh, but um, so it was dear Mr. Williamson, we received uh, this letter which is in the same handwriting as the previous communication. And then the the entire letter is transcribed. And this letter says that it is still Jack the Ripper writing and that it was not them who was responsible for killing that woman whose torso was recovered in Whitehall. On the 16th of October... Um, the very famous from hell letter was received, uh, that's together with a, with a kidney. Um, and this is not signed as Jack the Ripper though, but it contains the famous phrase, catch me when you can, which also became quite iconic. Um, then on the 9th of November, we have, um, Mary Jane Kelly that was murdered in a hotel room. Uh, but then after that, um, other women were murdered too. So many uh, authors would, would 
mark the end of Jack the Ripper's killings with Mary Jane Kelly, but there were other um, women who were murdered, and other torso were actually recovered <laughs> later on. So uh, what I'm trying to say here really is that Whitechapel at that time was definitely not uh, a quiet place or, or a nice place to, uh, to, to live safely. Um, and many events happened uh, of this kind. But uh, as I said, so the, the famous canonical um, Jack the Ripper victims are these ones. And there is, I mean, the, the, the authors who came up with this, the classification of, of, the, uh, of the five canonical um, victims, they did not that, they did not come to this conclusion scientifically. Um, of course, there are many similarities, but there is also the question how many of these similarities could happen by chance, right? So, for example, all of these women were murdered with a cut of their throat, some of the organs were removed, so there are similarities, but how many can be just by chance? And there is this, this academic paper here that it's the only other academic paper that I could find on the Jack Draper case, which um, actually answers this question. So it compares, it takes, uh, it considers a database of crimes, violent crimes, and answers this question. So how many, how many times do we find these aspects of these murders by chance? And their answer is that uh, it is actually quite idiosyncratic. It's not very common to find all of these elements together. Uh, and by going with this analysis, it would be possible to connect these five murders, but also I think it's seven murders. That's what, how many they can connect, potentially from the same perpetrator. But it's it's only one study, and it's based on behavioral patterns, which, I mean, is... You know, it's, it's good evidence, but there's no other evidence, hard evidence, that connects any of these murders. So what we, what we call Jack the Ripper could have been a gang, or could it be multiple murders? So after the double event, the police decided to publish the Dear Boss and the Saucy Jackie, the Dear Boss letter and the Saucy Jackie postcard, because even though they believed that it was a hoax, um, there were not many clues available, so they decided to just make it public. And before that point, only four letters were received. So two are the Dear Boss letter and so Jackie, plus two more. After that point, 130 Jack the Ripper letters were, were received by various recipients. So mostly it, it was newspapers and the police, but anyone could have received a Jack the Ripper letter at that point. Uh, if you didn't like your neighbor, uh, you could have sent them a Jack the Ripper letter. <laughs> I'm not saying uh, this is probably not very common, so something happened very commonly, but there is, uh, there is evidence of that. These things happen. So uh, the Jack the Ripper letters were used very creatively. Um, and yes, some of them were jokes, uh, most of them are clearly hoaxes. And they were received all over the country, not just in London. So there are uh, almost anywhere in the UK, even including Scotland. 
Um, right. Uh, yeah, so in total we can count 209 Dragon Reaper letters. They were sent from, starting from the 24th of September, that's when the very first one was, was received, until the 14th of October, 10 years later. And uh, so for now, we will call the pre-publication letters, all those letters that were received before the police published Dear Boss and first check, and then all the other ones are the post post publication now as I, as I was saying before, it is arguable that the reason why we still talk about Jack the Ripper and not the torso killer is not because of how gruesome those crimes were or the fact that the perpetrator was was never caught but it is because we have a name for him. And we have this personality that comes through the letters and and so travels in time and gets to us which is uh which is still in our imagination. <laughs> and so anything that we, we see that, that we know about um, that we allegedly know that is in our collective imagination about Jack the Ripper is None of this has any evidence, um, any connection to, uh, to, to, to the actual crime. So the typical figure with a top hat, there's, there's no evidence whatsoever of any top hat. Um, uh, the tours, uh, interestingly, the very first tour happened only a few days after these murders. So, so the, the, the Jack the Ripper tours started very, very early after the murders themselves. Uh, there are video games. Um, Dracula, uh, there are some authors that interestingly connect uh, Jack the Ripper to Dracula. So Bram Stoker uh, was actually um, the director of the Lyceum back then, and uh, it was definitely, he lived through all of these events, so he was definitely affected by this story, and so there are some literary scholars that say that the reason why we have Dracula today is because of the Jack the Ripper events. We have uh, movies and the London Dungeon, uh, the Jack the Ripper Museum, which I think is closed now, right? So they closed it down. Um, and and of course, there's a book every every I don't know every couple of months or so. This is 2018, but I I I bet. That, that there have been plenty more in the last few years. So all of this is based on speculations, but you know, the point I'm making here is that the reason why we still talk about it is because of the letters, because there are many other gruesome, horrible murders and no, where no one was caught and we have forgotten about them. Um, okay, so, but all of this is not really my, uh, my area of expertise. My area of expertise is the language of these letters, and more specifically, who wrote these letters. Right. So, uh, so who wrote these letters? Well, we only know of, I think, one author, uh, of these letters, and this is Maria Coroner, who was 21 years old when she wrote a, uh, Jack the Ripper letter. Um, she was actually charged, charged with sending two letters signed as Jack the Ripper. And uh, when she was asked about why she did it, then she replied that she, she did it as a joke. If I'm not mistaken, the police found 
lots of uh, newspaper cuttings. So she was she was fascinated by uh, by Jack the Ripper, and she wanted to be part of this. This is the only. Uh, by the way, I took this from um, from the uh, Casebook website, which is a very um, useful resource and contains everything about Jack the Ripper and done very well. So the, this is, as far as I'm, as far as I know, this is the only known author of these letters. But it's fairly possible that many authors of these 209 letters were similar in terms of motives um, to to Maria Coronel. The interesting question, though, historically, um, perhaps even forensically, is who wrote the original letters, so the ones that were sent before Dear Boss was made public? Because clearly, after Dear Boss and Susie Jackie were made public, that anyone had access to the languages of these letters, so they could have just done what Maria Connor did. But the interesting question is, who wrote, who was the author of the very first ones? And the theory that is, as, as far as I know, the theory that is more widely acknowledged between the experts is the enterprising journalist theory, which comes from, uh, originally from the Little Child letter, so Inspector Little Child, who famously said that um, in um, in Scotland Yards, um, so with regard to the, to the term Jack the Ripper, it was generally believed that Tom Bullen, he actually meant Tom Bulling, of the Central News Agency, was the originator. And his boss um, was, uh, was the inventor. So it was a smart piece of journalistic work. And I think... To this day, this is the, I mean, there are all sorts of theories on these, on these letters, right? So, um, yeah, there's Patricia Cornwell, Cornwell that wrote a lot about these letters. Now they are all linked together and it's the work of an artist. I mean, there is a lot of, there's a lot that has been said about these letters. But if you go to the most, um, comprehensive sources, they all agree that the letters are a hoax. It is possible that perhaps one of them or two of them might have been original, meaning sent by the one of the possibly multiple murders, but most of them were hoaxed. So the questions I asked were my research questions. First of all, is there any linguistic evidence that any of the pre-publication texts were written by the same person. And of course, we have to talk about the pre-publication texts because after publication, anybody had access to these texts, right? So the only way that we can work within a sort of contained environment, a not contaminated environment, is before the publication. Then if we find such evidence. Is there any other evidence, considering this, of course, this problem that these letters were published, were, were published, so they, they were in public knowledge, is there any evidence that connects the pre-publication texts that are connected together to some post-publication texts? And the reason why I'm asking this question is because, clearly, 
uh, well, we don't know, we don't have any comparison uh, data from Tom Bully. That would have been the that would have been the obvious question, right? So this theory is pointing the finger to this Tom Bullying from the Central News Agency. If we have writings from Tom Bullying, then we can do we can do a comparative analysis. But we don't have any of that. So the other obvious thing to do would be profiling, right? As I said before, so there's no suspect here, so we can try to do some profiling. But if we cannot make sure that, for example, Dear Boss and Saucy Jackie, or, or perhaps even all of the four letters that were received uh, at the very beginning are connected to each other, then we cannot uh, treat them as coming from the same author, right? So we would have to treat them independently, which means that we have less data to work with. So the preliminary question then is, can we, first of all, find whether any of these uh, any of these letters were written by the same person? If yes, then we can join them together and, uh, come, uh, and, then, and then extract a profile from all of them together, right? So that, that's the rationale. So the uh, and, and this is a problem that in uh, in, the, in the field of authorship analysis is called author clustering. So when you have different author, different texts um, allegedly unconnected to each other, and you want to find out whether any of them is connected, and um, this is solved by uh, using certain methodologies. I can I can explain a bit more if you want uh, in the questions. But uh, roughly speaking, um, so usually the way that this is solved is by looking at the frequency with which certain features are used by uh, these authors. However, the problem is that the average length of any of these texts is as, as small as seven words. There are some letters that contain only seven words. Um, and the, the average is 83 tokens, which is just uh, terminology for words, okay, so 83 words. So we cannot use these methods, the the standard methods, because we don't have enough data for each of these tags. So I have to come up with a slightly different method, which is becoming increasingly common in the field, which is the use of uh, a coefficient called the uh, Jacquard coefficient, actually the Jacquard distance, which I am expressing here with a mathematical formula, but it's actually very simple. So let's say that this is our text, the cat sat on the mat, okay? So you break it down into sequences of two words, so that's why you see here the cat, cat sat, sat on, on the, on the mat, okay? Then you say you have another text, which is the dog sat on the mat, right? So you do the same thing, you break it into sequences of words. And then you calculate how many of these sequences are in common uh, um, divided by the total of sequences together. Okay, so in this case, that would be um, three sequences common out of seven total, so 0.57. So very simple terms, this is what, what it's doing, okay? Now, if you do that then uh, you can make a graph like this one. So what you see here is each each um, circle is a text. So we have Dear Boss, Sophie Jackie, and the other two texts that I did mention, and we just called them by date. So the very first, first, very first one that was received on the 24th of September, and 
another one received on the 1st of October. The um, uh, size of the circle is proportional to the length. Okay, this is because if I'm comparing two texts uh, and one is much smaller than the other, or sorry, uh, sorry, let's say if I'm comparing two texts and both of them are very long, then what they have in common would be much more than if I have two texts that are very short. Okay, so we have to, 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 to have size, we have to take size in, uh, into account. And, uh, so the links that you see are the word sequences in common. And then you also, you can also see over here the, the score, okay, of that score that I, that I showed you before. You see, for example, that these two letters, um, they do not have much in common. They only have one word sequence and the score is very low. It's approximately one. So it goes the other way because it measures distance, right? So it's, they are very distant, which means that they are not very similar. Um, and kind of around the same thing with Dear Boss and the other two. So they're not, they don't have much in common. But then look at Saucy Jackie and Dear Boss, right? So they are much more similar than the other two, than the other possible pairings. And they have all of these sequences in common. So just just keep that in mind. So we'll explore these similarities um, very soon. But let's say that I now do the same thing I've done here, but with all of the 209 texts. Then what you get is it's something like this. So it's basically this. This is a it's a tree, right? I'm just. I'm just making it look like a circle because if it was a tree, you wouldn't be able to read all of the text at the bottom because it would be very small, right? So the way you read it is it, you start from the center and say, okay, this is one branch of the tree. This is another branch. And the similarity is not given by the physical proximity. So, for example, these two texts here, they're not very similar to each other just because they are close to each other. But you have to follow the branch, right? So this two belongs together, and there is this other branch, and this two belongs together, and so on. So, of course, it, it's a lot of information to take in, in, in one, but doesn't matter. I mean, what I want, the reason why I want to show it to you is because, as you can see here, um, similarly to what I was, I was saying before, is, the two earliest pre-publication letters belong to this family here, whereas the, all of the letters sent to the Central News Agency belong to this family here. Okay, so they are, they are very similar to each other. The from hell letter is here, is in this other family, but please bear in mind that, you know, the, um, the distance is given by by the branches of the tree, right? So the fact that they are in common, they are next to each other, doesn't really mean much. Okay, so we know that statistically speaking, these letters are similar, but this is not enough for, for forensic evidence. So similarity is only one component of any forensic evidence. So how, it doesn't matter, it can be uh, blood, blood patterns or uh, firearms uh, evidence or fingerprint or whatever. So similarity is only one aspect. The other aspect you have to take into account is typicality. So how rare are these similarities, right? Because I can say um, the murderer has brown hair, right? 
and this just like this brown hair, so they are similar. But how freak, how rare is this similarity, right? It's different if I say, oh, like, we know that the murderer has red hair and the suspect here has red hair, right? So that makes it more distinct. So we, in other words, we have to quantify how distinctive the similarities are. And to do that, uh, we can use databases of language in the 19th century. Uh, this, the technical name of these databases is corpus. So, for example, uh, the 19th century section of the Corpus of Historical American English that contains 132 million words. Or the Corpus of Late Modern English Texts that goes from 1700 to uh, beginning, well, 20th century, um, which is 34 million words. Or even, very, is a very nice corpus, the Old Bailey corpus that contains the proceedings of the Old Bailey from the 1700 until the 20th century. So we can use all of this data to understand to what extent these similarities are distinctive. So these are all the similarities that we see between Dear Boss and Saucy Jackie. And the brackets and all of that, it, that's a syntactic analysis, it's a grammatical analysis of these patterns, okay? So, for example, a bit. So these two letters share a bit. This is not distinct. It's a very common grammatical construction in English. It was in the 19th century, so we do, we, actually it's not important. Same for I gave, or I got, or to get. This is just English. I mean, the only thing it's telling us is that both of the authors can write in English. Then we have till I. So both of these letters use till as opposed to until. Okay, so this is a similarity. But how distinctive is that? Well, it turns out that it's actually not very distinctive. Uh, till has always been very common in English. Um, and it's actually not a truncation of until. It's two different, um, two different words. Uh, no time to squeal and no time to get ears. Well, this is somehow, you know, it's not as common as get or got or give, but um, we cannot really extract any useful information from that, really, uh, by looking at these data. Uh, another interesting one is to work, meaning to kill. Okay, so I want to get to work till I got to work again, meaning to kill. This is probably distinctive, but there is no way that we, that anyone, <laughs> me or, or any of my students, can go through millions of instances of work in 19th century data to find out how distinctive it was. And even if we did, uh, maybe the, the results would still be questionable. That leads us to the last one. Um, so this, keep this letter back till I do. And thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work. How distinctive is that? Well, it turns out that it doesn't exist outside of these two texts. So this, this sequence of words, letter back till I, if, if now, I mean, we, we are not in, one of the advantages we, we are not in the pub is that you have got your computer there. So uh, if you want to try this, you just go on Google 
type letter back TLI within inverted commas so that you will search that string exactly. And you will see that it will only return Jack the Ripper. So in other words, the sequence of words, even though it has nothing to do with Jack the Ripper, of course, if, if the sequence contained Jack the Ripper, right, I mean, that, that's what you would expect. But it has nothing to do with that. It's just a sequence of words that tends to be unique to these two texts. It's like a, really like a fingerprint that connects these two texts. Now, because we know that these two texts were sent before the texts were made public, it means that uh, it's not that someone could have just copied the sequence of words, okay? Then what we can conclude is that there is solid linguistic evidence that these two texts were written by the same person. And the other reason why we can know, we know that, that it's not something that someone copied, is because the sequence of words is also unique compared to the rest of the 209 letters. So none of the hoaxers, even, so those people who were trying to be like Jack the Ripper did not write the sequence either. So now that we can connect these two texts, can we find any evidence that connects these two texts to any other text that was sent afterwards? Which is much more difficult, it's a much more difficult task because, because there's this confounding problem that um, someone could have just copied the language, right? Well, let's begin with the texts that are the closest as possible to both Dear Boss and Saucy Jack. And so what you see here, we just explain it. Um, so this is, this is distance. Uh, okay. So in other words, uh, the, the closer to the bottom, the, the more similar it is. So one means that it's completely dissimilar, right? So what you see, so the, the, the text that is the most similar to the Airballs is this text over here. But this text is, is someone who actually copied it almost word for word. So we, we, we can compare the two texts. They have a huge chunks of, uh, of language that is copied word for word. So we know that even though they are very similar, this is because it's an act of plagiarism. So we can exclude it. The second most similar letter is Sosjeki, which is incredible. So these are 209 letters, and most of them are made by people who want to be, they want to pretend to be the dear boss uh, author, right? And still, the most similar is Sosjeki. But then close to that, as you can see, we find the mob and median letter. Now, what about Sosjeki? We, what letters are the most similar to Saucy Jackie? The most similar letter to Saucy Jackie is actually the mob and median letter out of the 209. And then after that, it's Dear Boss. So in other words, there is statistical evidence here that connects Dear Boss, Saucy Jackie, and mob and median. However, we cannot be as confident as with Dear Boss and Susie Jackie, because Mob and Median, unfortunately, was sent after Dear Boss and Susie Jackie were published. So we cannot exclude that one of the hoaxers is incredibly skilled in copying 
in assuming someone else's identity and uh, being able to 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 um, fake uh, being the actual author of the above. But any, anyway, so this is the quantitative evidence. What about the similarity, the distinctiveness, right? Well, um, so what we what you see here is again the it's a list of similarities either between um, dear boss or Sotijeki and mob and median. Okay, so again we find things that we are absolutely not interested in. Things like a bit um, Jackie's I do the police. Okay, even though the police is an interesting one. Um, maybe I can tell you more about this in the Q&A session, but um, actually, in most of the other letters, the hoaxers call the police, not the police, they call them pigs, they call them cops, they call them coppers, but very rarely they call them the police, or police officers even, which is even more polite. So it is a similarity, but um, it's, I mean, it's arguable. Um, so for now, we can exclude it. Then we find that Dear Boss and Median, both of them use my work to indicate to kill. But we cannot treat this as a distinctive similarity because at this point in time, this saying or my work was already popular. It was already associated with Jack the Ripper. So people knew about this way of, of, of speaking. This is Jack the Ripper speaking, right? So we can, we have to exclude it. Similarly, for example, we see that in 14 other Jack the Ripper texts, we find people saying my work. Groundwork, again, same idea. This became quite iconic of Jack the Ripper. We, we find it in only three other Jack the Ripper texts, but this is evidence that it was already, um, in the public domain. Same with Haha, uh, which is found in uh, eight other Jack the Ripper texts. And of course, Dear Old Boss, which became iconic and we find in 58, 55 other Jack the Ripper texts. Well, what is left here? It's the, the last two. And this one is very similar to what we saw before. This time it's not keep this, uh, it, sorry, the sequence is not um, uh, back till I, um, and the, it's slightly different. So what we see in median is keep this back till three are wiped out. So keep this letter back till I do more work. Thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work, and keep this keep this back till three are wiped out. So it's very similar construction, okay? And then another one here, which is between common between Sosijeki and Median, which is Sosijeki's work tomorrow, double event this time, and in Median it's must get to work tomorrow, travel event this time. And none of these, again, uh, these are again unique. So if you look at, if you look at that, this time you can't really just do that on Google, like the other one, this is a bit more complicated, but it doesn't exist anywhere else. So it just connects these two letters only. But we cannot reach the same conclusion as before, okay? Because now anyone could have 
had access to Diabos, and potentially we cannot exclude the possibility that someone who was particularly skilled in impersonating the language of, of another person that, that could have done this. Although I would argue it's quite unlikely. Um, so um, just to give you an idea as to why these similarities are important, okay, so let's, let's examine this construction in more detail. So we have keep this letter back till I... Thanks for keeping last letter back till I and keep this back till three are wiped out. So in, in grammatical terms, what this means is that what they have in common is the use of the word keep, then uh, this, this or last, then letter, then back, then till and I. So in other words, in grammatical terms, they, they share the, the use of this lexeme, keep, then the semantics of letter, so the meaning, so keep a letter back, which is part of the same verb, and then a, a subordinate clause that starts with till. Okay? So, this construction is the result of a series of choices, if you think about it, right? So, let's say that you have this meaning that you want to convey, which is don't send these letters until something happens. This is the meaning that you want to convey, right? How do I do that? Well, I have several verbs that I can use to do that. So I can use keep only, keep back, withhold, hold back, hold out. So there are different possibilities, right? Then let's say that you choose keep back. What do you do? Do you put the object after keep or do you put the, uh, or you, you put the particle after keep. So in other words, do I say keep back this letter or do I say keep this letter back? Right? What do you put back? Let's say that you put back at the end. Do you add a subordinate clause or not? So do you expect, do you specify till when or not? And let's say that you decide to use a subordinate. Do you use till or until? So this is all of the choices, right? So the, this particular author made these choices. So what we want to know is how common is, how common are all, all these choices, right? And we can go back to our data sets. We can also add more data, including the Jack the Ripper corpus too. And, um, well, I'll show you some, some detail here. Uh, but, but the results are that on average, even uh, talking about the verbs, what, what verb do you use to express this meaning? In about 40% of the instances found, it's withhold. You say you withhold a letter as opposed to keep back. Keep back comes a second, okay? Not too far away from just keep. Keep this letter. So these are all the, uh, sorry, there, there are also two letters in the post-publication that come quite close to it. Uh, so this is pro probably the same uh, the same person, uh, although no, it can't be. I, I think there's a mistake in the in the date there. It's on 1980. No, it, it, of course it's not. Um, keep this quiet uh, till I have done. Okay, it's very similar to that. Keep this letter a bit quiet, but but now the the verb is to keep quiet. Let's not keep back. So what you see here, these are all the instances of keep. A letter back that I could find in 19th century data. 
has very, very small um, set of, uh, of sentences. And what you see is that actually it tends to be kind of the same author. One of them is Dickens, by the way, uh, which uh, doesn't doesn't connect into objective firm, and I don't want to argue that in any way. Um, but so we see that it tends to be it tends to be it clustered by author in a way. But let's look at the choices anyway. So how many of them? So how many of them have the particle back? after the object. Well, we have to exclude these two because these two are passive. And when, you, when it's passive, you can't do that operation. Right? So we have to exclude them. Uh, they can't be compared. You have to remove all of that uh, and because those ones, are they're using back immediately after keep, right? So they are not making the same decision as the author of, of those letters. And how many of them have a subordinate clause, so till something happens? It's only one, actually. Uh, and it is, it does use till, okay, so it's actually similar to, to dear boss, but it uses a pronoun, uh, and, and that's a problem, because when, when there is a pronoun, we cannot, we cannot switch it back, so you can't say to keep back it. So when you use a pronoun, it has to come after the verb. So in other words, we cannot, we, we should have, the things do would be to exclude it really. Which means that essentially there's no other attested example of this construction in 19th century English that we know of. It doesn't mean, I mean, for sure that people said that, but it was very rare. I mean, this is evidence that it was very rare. So going back to, to our questions, then the answer to the second question is that there is evidence that Moben Median, who happens to have, to have been sent to the Central News Agency as well, a thing that I did not know after, uh, until after I've done my analysis. It was only then that I realized that actually these three letters were all sent to the Central News Agency and they are the only three letters that were sent to the Central News Agency. No other letter has been sent to them before or after publication. But the evidence is less strong because Morbid Median is a post-publication letter. So what conclusions can we draw for the historians or for the detectives, say? Well, um, this is new evidence. Uh, it's it's not evidence that will help catching or identifying the murderer, but it's it's it is forensic evidence that is relevant to the case. But in real life forensic work, the forensic expert does not draw conclusion regarding the outcome of the case. The forensic expert only expresses an opinion about a particular aspect of the case, and then it's up, up to the trier of facts to determine whether someone is guilty or not. Similarly, in this case, it's up to the historians to make sense of this evidence. So I cannot go beyond what I've done. Or, or, I mean, I can speculate, of course, but it's not my expertise to go beyond that. 
Um, so Evans and Skinner, which is the book from where I got the letters, says that if this communication of oblivion is correctly attributed to the same source as the others, it tends to detract from the veracity of its predecessors. And this is because Mobbidian is a very, I mean, all of a sudden starts to talk about religious, uh, religious facts and uh, it has a, it has a theme, um, a set of themes actually, which makes it very unlike the other two. But again, this is really just speculation. To me, um, what I always say is that to me the, the question is not who was Jack the Ripper, but who created Jack the Ripper. Assuming that the reason why we still talk about Jack the Ripper is the, is the character of this persona that comes from the letter, then the real question is who created that persona? I can say a few words about what the conclusions are for people like us, for people in linguistics and forensic linguistics. Well, um, if we assume that this analysis is correct, and the, those letters were actually written by the same person, then this answers a question which, which we are wondering about in English, which is, do unique grammatical constructions exist? So there are things that, uh, in other words, that only one person, only you say in a, in a particular way, okay? And to what extent uh, is this phenomenon widespread? Um, so, for example, we see that this sequence is, is virtually unique in billions of words. So, uh, you know, Google contains billions of words. I, I checked in modern corpora that contains billions of words. So it's like entire libraries, and you don't find this word sequence. Um, this construction is possibly unique, uh, or at least very, very uncommon. And this is despite you had 200 hoaxers, potentially 200 people that were trying to be Jack the Ripper. I mean, none of them actually got that, right? Um, and if it was so distinctive, uh, so the, the real way to be Jack the Ripper would be to use letter back to lie, because that would, that would, you know, immediately point to you if you wanted to pretend to be Jack the Ripper. Of course, it's not a salient feature. When we read those letters, we think, it's a common word sequence, but it's actually not. So in terms of French linguistics, it's like having an experiment here, right? So you have more than 200 people trying to imitate the language of a person, and they fail, right? So it's like it's almost like an experiment. So it's a very nice data set uh, to, uh, to, to answer, answer certain questions that we might have about impersonating someone. And also, there are, because we have all of these, um, you know, set of hoaxes, most of them are definitely hoaxes, then maybe this data set can tell us something about what makes a, a particular text actually uh, from the killer or not. Because, for example, for the Zodiac letters, we know that they, they were written by the actual killer just because they contain information that only the killer would have known, right? But is there anything in the way the language is used in these texts that can actually also uh, help us distinguish real ones from fake ones? And of course, it's, it's an open question. We don't really have an answer to that. But I think the Jack the Ripper corpus 
so the, the, this data set of letters could become important for that. And also, um, well, we know that even modern killers used language from these letters. So the Yorkshire Reaper, for example, I, I don't know if you, if you surely you, you must know about it. Um, so the, the hoaxer, the Yorkshire Reaper hoaxer, sent letters that were inspired by the Dear Boss letters. So, you know, in modern cases, there's still, um, they still, you know, they, they have this baggage of cultural baggage they're still um, taking with them to this day. Okay, so that's uh, that's everything I I wanted to say, and uh, I just uh, if you want to read more than the the academic article, so it's not uh, for a lay audience; it's, it's technical, but largely largely accessible, and it's uh, it's free. You can find it online, and you can even just download all of the letters if you want if you want to play with them. Uh, if you go on my website. Thank you very much. And that was Dr. Andrea Nini from the August 2021 meeting of the Whitechapel Society. We would like to thank Dr. Nini, Steve Ratti, and the entire committee of the Whitechapel Society for making the release of this talk possible. For more information on the Whitechapel Society, please visit their website, whitechapelsociety.com where you'll find out how to become a member, get information about their future meetings, purchase books and subscribe to their Whitechapel Society journal. We are a podcast sponsored and hosted by casebook.org, where you will find over 200 roundtable discussions, author interviews and conference presentations all about Jack the Ripper and Victorian crime, society and history. If you have any comments or questions about our podcasts, feel free to find us on the Casebook message boards or on Twitter and Facebook by searching for RipperCast. <laughs>